Welcome to Grow With Soul, a simple marketing podcast by me, Kate Ferris, a creative business and marketing coach living in the mountains in North Wales. Grow With Soul is for creatives who either have their own business or who dream of having their own business and who want to grow slowly, sustainably and soulfully in their work and in their life. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome to episode 105 of Grow With Soul. Today we have our first returning guest to the show, Nicole Antoinette, who you may remember from episode 62. Given everything that has happened in the last year, Nicole and I wanted to talk about having change and flexibility at the core of your business rather than it being something you have to do reactively to external changes like, for example, a pandemic. So today we talk about how to build around an approach rather than a thing for your business. The three questions that Nicole asks when she's thinking of making a change, dealing with discomfort and fear, and also how Nicole has introduced accessible pricing and sliding scale pricing into her business as a real manifestation of her values. So strap in and let's get going. Hello, Nicole. Hi, thanks for having me back. I know. Well, this is a very auspicious occasion because you are the first second appearance. I don't know if I've said that right. The first person to be on the podcast twice. (laughs) Really? Oh, that feels like quite an honor. Now I'm like, oh gosh, I got to live up to that. (laughs) (laughs) So be good. But yeah, so for anybody who maybe missed the episode the first time around, perhaps just do a quick catch up on what you do and where you're at. Yeah, sure. So I'm Nicole Antoinette. What do I do? I create all different kinds of resources and gatherings for folks who love honest conversations. So that looks like podcasts. I have a show called Real Talk Radio, um, which you have been a guest on as well. So many back and forth podcasting in our (laughs) world. And online, like virtual retreats, in-person retreats, workbooks, all kinds of things, really for people like me who love the deep dive self-reflection, but who would prefer to do that type of thing in community it's not necessarily a super strong elevator pitch. I don't have a great elevator pitch for my work, and I'm totally <laughs> fine with that. And yeah, so that is what I have been doing. I am really particularly grateful, especially in the last year, to have already had an online business, you know, with the pandemic and everything. So working online, working virtually was something that I've been doing for many, many years. And I'm grateful that I already had that up and running. It has been mm-hmm. quite a year. Understatement of the century. (laughs) Um, And I think that actually not having the practiced elevator pitch probably leads us on quite nicely to what we were going to talk about because the basically the reason you're here is that you sent me a dm on instagram like we should really talk about this (laughs) and i was like yeah okay and it was about having flexibility built into your business because a lot of the coaching episodes that have happened on Grow With Soul this year have been about very reactive pivots that people have had to make in the last year. And given the fact that you don't have that, this is my elevator picture of what we're going to do. I guess there's a lot of that flexibility was already built in. Yeah, I also, I don't know. I just don't really value the I've boiled everything I I do down into like two sentences. I think it works well for some folks. It doesn't really work well for me. And it's it's funny, pandemic aside, and I'm sure that will come up in this idea of having like a flexible business. But the main reason that I reached out to you about this topic was because I, you know, through following your work and particularly, you know, on Instagram and on the podcast, knowing that you have gone through multiple pivots as well, like either because you didn't like something that you thought you were going to like in the business, which is super relatable, or something changed in your personal life. And that necessitated like changes in the professional life, also very relatable. And I think that there's something in that that not to say people don't talk about it because they do, but there really is this pressure to have it all figured out and to be really buttoned up and to know, you know, this is exactly what I'm doing next and I'm only presenting like best foot forward plans and I respect the way that you're willing to talk about the process. It's something that I feel a lot of 
you know, kinship with because I value that a lot too in my own like business and personal and creative life. And so I thought, huh, I think it's interesting to have a conversation about maybe why you would choose to do that, how to do that, not necessarily in like a six step, you know, formula way. I don't think either of us have, you know, that, but I do think that it's an interesting topic because everyone needs to make changes in their life and business at some point, sometimes because of external things and sometimes just because they want to do something different. And it's, I think that it's a really generous thing to normalize change through talking about it. So did you ever feel that pressure to have, you know, best foot forward, everything's planned, everything's slick and perfect and really good? Or have you always been pretty okay with having it all out there? I would say yes to both of those. (laughs) Um, I think it's very much a both and. I don't know how you exist in the world and don't feel that pressure from time to time. You know, it's not something that I would say that I'm completely over. I will say that it was a lot more of a struggle earlier on in my business. And that was really the time when I was subscribed to, you know, all the business coaching newsletters, listening to all the podcasts, like really trying to understand the best way to do things, the right way to do things. And I think that that comes from a really tender human place of we don't want to make mistakes, right? We don't want to look stupid. We don't want to let people down. And I think that learning is great and excellent and growing is great and excellent. But I definitely got to the point where I was giving too much of my power away. You know, oh, such and such business guru says I should do these three things. So, okay, I have to do these things. Oh, but this person says I should do these things. So, okay, now I have to do these things. And there wasn't a lot of critical thought that was going into it. And that didn't feel good for me. So I I have since stepped away from that for sure. And I'm leaning much more into what do I want to make? What feels good to me? What's the process that is in alignment and integrity with my values? It's a lot more self-driven and community-driven, having conversations with the people that I work with and for and making it more collaborative in those ways. But I mean, yeah, there'll still be those random moments where I'm on Instagram and I see someone else who's a peer in some way, you know, put together what looks to me to be like the perfect launch or the perfect, you know, whatever, you know, Instagram series or email series. And I can have that feeling of, oh, my gosh, you know, I need to step it up. I need to tighten up in these ways. And I think that there's a difference between inspiration and jealousy, right? And it's not a bad thing to be inspired and uplifted by other people who are doing their best work. I think that that's awesome. But I always have to remember that just because something works well for somebody else doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work well for me. And I need to have different criteria that I filter my decisions through. Mm, And you know, that kind of tension between inspiration and jealousy, I'm actually thinking that when I see the most perfect launch that's that isn't inspiring because I don't know how to get in and around that I don't know I can't I can't work with that there's no kind of grab holds for me whereas actually to see something more work in progressy where I can really kind of see the craft and and how their thought process is working around something that is inspiring because I'm like oh that's a really interesting way that they've thought about that and how can I think about that in a similar way rather than just like oh God, they're so good and I'm so not. (laughs) A hundred percent. I'm obsessed with process. I find that, you know, the more that I work for myself and it's, but it's, it's not just in business even it's, I'm really grateful when other people are willing to share stories from their own messy middle, you know, whether that's in their relationship, you know, I want to hear about how people navigate uncomfortable conversations with their partner, for example, or what it looks like when a friendship has sort of run its course and, you know, what's the communication like around that? I mean, we could basically say, here for the next hour and list out situations where I would love to hear like the ins and outs of people's (laughs) process. And I'm not alone in that. We're all really curious. And it doesn't mean that we owe anyone, you know, all of the juiciest details of our lives. Like, absolutely, I value privacy as well. But I think that it's such a gift and it's so generous to be willing to be 
as honest as you're comfortable with about your process. And I really have taken that to heart with my business. Like there's a lot of things that I do in my business and the way that I run my business that to be honest, I don't know anyone else who does them, which doesn't mean that there aren't other people that do it this way. But there's just a lot of things that I do that I think are outside the norm, but they feel good for me. So I go with it. And talking about process is one of those things. Like I'll, I'll give you an example. So my my podcast is listener funded through Patreon and we do a lot of stuff within the Patreon community. It's not just podcast funding, but one of the things that I do on the first Tuesday of every month, I release a quite long, quite in-depth, very transparent business and money report that goes into like, here's exactly how much money the business made last month. Here's where it came from. Here's the expenses. Here were my goals. Here were the lessons learned. Here were the mistakes that I made, like just on and on. Here are the questions I'm asking myself. Really, really like the full behind the scenes of the business, just because I think it's interesting and it honors like my value of being more transparent about money and process. And I don't know anyone else who does that, at least not to that detailed level. And I don't know if it feels good to me to do it. And I think that there's something really radical and anti-capitalist about being more transparent with money. And, you know, I I think we all benefit from that. Do you think you find that easier to do because it's to your Patreon community rather than on Medium or whatever, like to the whole world? I do because I think that context and relationship is important with honest sharing, right? It's I think it's a I'm going to I'm going to butcher the quote, but I think it's a maybe a Brené Brown thing. I feel like anything that's vulnerability related, <laughs> I just want to attribute to Brené Brown. I'm not sure if it actually is, but that idea of sharing things with people who have like earned that level of intimacy with you, right? There's different things that I'm going to share with the person at the coffee shop than with my partner's mother than with my best friend, right? Like you could be honest in all situations, but it's not, not all of them are appropriate and not all of them are going to be received the same way. And so the fact that I'm sharing in this level of detail with the people who pay for the work and who have opted into this journey with me, 100%, I think it feels a lot better. And I'm more honest because I know that to at least some degree, they know me and they know what I stand for and they're not looking for sort of like things to pick apart in it, which doesn't mean that I don't get like challenged and asked tough questions, which I'm completely here for. But even that I think works better when you're in relationship, which these people and I are. So yeah, 100%. I mean, I do try to talk openly about money in different ways more publicly. Like every once in a while on Instagram, I'll do like a breakdown of my monthly budget, right? Like by percentage where all the money went. And so it's not like this is the only place that I talk about it, but I do think that it's important for us to look at the level of intimacy in different areas of our lives and even within our business. What you're going to share on your multi-thousand person email list is probably going to be different from what you share with like a one-to-one client that you've been working with for two years, right? And that's just the nature of relationships. Yeah. And actually, whenever it came out a month ago, a couple months ago, your episode with Marley Grace, I was listening to that and it was about commitment and it really got me to a place of something I've kind of been noodling on anyway about just how all or nothing we are and we just don't find that middle ground and in the context of that episode it was with relationships and she said that she'd had a kind of hand fasting with her girlfriend for one year (laughs) and it was like that's it that's all we're committing for and then we'll see where we are at the end of the year and I just found it so interesting that we we immediately and automatically go to this place of all or nothing and so with the the sharing it's well I have to share my deepest darkest fears on Instagram or I'm not doing it right (laughs) you know or I'm not doing this vulnerability thing we all have to do but to be able to put those layers in and actually go why am I saying it has to be everything or nothing there has to be those stages that just remind me of that Yeah, I love, I mean, I love Marley's work and I loved that conversation. And I think I even said this in that conversation that the number one thing that I have spent the most money on in therapy is trying to break these all or nothing thought patterns, right? Is <laughs> It's not zero or a hundred, like what about a five? What about a 15, right? What about a 36? Like there's other ways in between. And I, but I think that that's really relevant to what we're talking about, not just in terms of how honest to be and where, but also in this idea of making changes in your business, because that also is a matter of commitment. And there were times early in my business where I felt like if I'm going to start 
you know, a blog or a podcast or, you know, a certain offering, then that's the thing I'm going to do forever. And spoiler alert, people change. Your interests change. You know, what you want to offer changes and not allowing room for that what and that's absolutely a mistake that I made at the beginning and I learned from that the hard way of oh I have all of these offerings that I have outgrown and okay what am I going to do next in like the next iterations of my business to not feel so caged in by these things that I told myself I had to do forever and that really informed a lot of the way that I now think about having a more flexible business yeah so what sort of things did you have you let go of do you mean like specific like yeah so you said that the things that kind of made you feel caged in what were those things and then how did you go about the process of letting them go both kind of technically but also emotionally I guess as well yeah I mean this this was quite a number of years ago and was in what I think of as sort of my like former iteration of my business it's obviously gone through a bunch of iterations but I and I don't know how much you know more you want to go into the backstory here but me doing what I'm doing now really grew completely organically out of originally what was just a personal blog right that I started in 2007 and because of the organic nature of it I didn't sit down and make a business plan one day what wound up happening was that I was essentially monetizing like hobbies, passions, and interests. And so I'll I'll give you an example. One of those was running. And so I, you know, I used to be a really serious runner and I had started from complete zero with that. So like beginner to being really into it. And I partnered with a a running coach, my running coach at the time. And we had this like really fun programs for people who also were beginners and who wanted not just to get into the habit of running, but to really dig into sort of more the emotional side of what does it take to change your life. And It was really successful and it was fun. And after a number of years, I sort of fell out of love with running. This is just one example. There were others in the business as well. And I found that I just wasn't that passionate about it anymore. And I didn't want to host and teach and think about something all day that I wasn't personally interested in. And it was a real learning moment for me that as much as, you know, maybe we're told, if you do what you're passionate about, it's never going to feel like work. For me, I found that I did not want to have my personal interests be the thing that determines my livelihood. That really felt like a cage for me because if I have built a business off of being you know, a capital R runner, what happens if I don't want to be a runner anymore and I don't want to talk about running anymore and I've backed myself into this corner where that's the only thing that people know me as and that's what all my offerings are. And so there was a series of things like that that happened that really made me come to the understanding that I need to have a business that obviously it's a solo creative business, right? It is me. I understand that like I'm the brand, but I need to have some distance and some more flexibility between my like personal interests and hobbies and what it is that I'm offering. And so there was a there was a really big pivot. I mean, that was before I started my podcast and everything. I wound up really shutting down all of my existing, you know, stuff at that point, taking a little bit of a, a break. And then when I started Real Talk Radio and everything that has happened since, a key, key part of the foundation of that for me was this cannot be dependent on my personal interests. And so that really guided some of the decisions that I made and what I was and wasn't willing to offer. So I don't know if that's like exactly the answer to your question, but that was definitely a pivot point for me in realizing this business isn't flexible because it's based too much around me as a person. Mm. So I'm curious about how you define the difference between what is a personal thing that you enjoy and what is something that you would do for work because if you're passionate about something enough that you want to talk about it on the podcast and and do it a lot do you have like kind of criteria of like this is just my personal interest or this is going to bleed into work I think it's it's a great question and perhaps isn't one that I have a soundbite answer to right (laughs) but I'm happy to to think through it out loud Obviously, so for my show, right, it's not a topic-specific show. And that was really the linchpin of everything that we're talking about. Because I knew that if I started a show that was like, you know, for example, about running or about anything that was that 
height of a genre that there was a good chance that I would get sick of that thing and then I would be sort of stuck with this podcast that I didn't know what to do with. But the through line of the podcast is honest conversations with people about their real lives. So absolutely my personal interests show up, right? There's a reason that I've interviewed a bunch of long distance hikers because that's something that I'm really into, right? Or other sort of adventure athletes, you know, people who work for themselves. I've done a bunch of different episodes on relationships and questioning monogamy and, you know, thinking about different like styles of relationship. And so the people I'm interested in and curious about and want to interview, that's definitely informed by my interests. But if tomorrow I decided I'm never going to go on a long distance hike again, that wouldn't mean that I had to fold the podcast. And so it's not that the interests don't come into play because they definitely do. But I think that I've created a like container that's big enough to hold multiple interests and that isn't dependent on, you know, what my where I live, what my diet is, like what my hobbies are, that type of thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And it's about it not being a thing, but an approach and allowing that to have breadth and depth within it that gives you that space to be a human with a business rather than a business with a human. <laughs> exactly. And and that works for me. And I know that that's not necessarily going to be the case for everyone, but I learned that through kind of flaming out on the other approach. And so, you know, it's this idea of how to build a flexible business. Like sometimes I wish I had the magic four-step plan, right? Like here's how to make sure that that's possible. And, you know, particularly with, you know, this past year, right? What do you do when it's an external change? You know, something that's outside of your control, pandemic, climate crisis, disaster, war, right? Like I honestly don't know that I have any great advice for that, but I can talk about sort of how I've thought about changes in flexibility in the business more generally and some of the things we've already talked about. I think for me, the number one thing is understanding the true heart of what it is that I'm offering and why. So during the pandemic, I obviously canceled my in-person events and retreats, which is something that I love to do. It's definitely a real profitable part of my business. And it really made me think, okay, if we can't gather in person, what's the heart of this offering? The heart of it is honest conversation with like-minded people to do some group goal setting together, fun, laughter, connection, right? That type of thing. All right, I can move that online. It's not going to be exactly the same, but a mastermind group or a virtual retreat, right? There are some overlaps where the container is different, but the heart of the work is the same. And so that has served me well during different periods of time, whether it's an internally or externally motivated change to really understand like what is the heart of the work and not over focusing on well should it be a book or should it be a course or should it be an ebook or should it be a podcast right that like it's it's it doesn't matter as much it's more about the heart of the thing yeah I kind of also think about this in terms of like content not format because we get so wound up in the format of something even if it's just like oh should it be a blog or a podcast and it's the format is kind of irrelevant because it's got to be it's got to start with the actual content and the way that that is best delivered or can be delivered by you as an individual rather and the format is kind of a distraction I think a lot of the time yeah I think so too and this is all the type of stuff that I thought about in this was in 2015 when I made that like first big pivot and I had obviously made other changes before that but I so I thought about that like what's the heart of what I want to do and then I also thought about what would it look like to establish change as like a foundational value not just personally but also professionally as well because I went through the experience of my interests changed the type of stuff that I wanted to talk about and make changed huh if it happened now, it's probably going to happen again. I don't think all of a sudden, right, that I have figured out the one thing that I'm going to want to do or make or talk about until I die. So then I need to normalize change. I need to talk about change. I need to practice it. I need to celebrate it. And the results of that have been wonderful because I have built a community that doesn't expect me to stay the same forever, doesn't expect the work to stay the same forever. And there's never been a single time when I've publicly talked about a change in my business or my personal life where I haven't gotten at least one usually more than one grateful email or message from someone who's been wanting to make a change in their own life and like who got a burst of courage from what I shared. Like this this desire to make changes, I think is just the most human relatable thing. Like we're constantly growing and evolving and becoming new versions of ourselves. And to pretend otherwise, I think 
for me, it felt like it feels like it sets me up for failure or at the very least for being unhappy. And so I don't try to shy away from the fact that things are going to change. I also, it has helped me to not apologize for changing. And that might sound silly, but I think part of what has helped me to pivot so many times in different ways is just to not like make it a whole big deal. You know, don't promise people, oh my God, it's going to be the last time that I change, right? Something, another trap that I fell into was trying to look for the thing, right? Like the capital T thing that, okay, once I've found it, okay, this is going to be my thing. I'm going to, this, uh, this is who I am now. This is what I'm making. And it's, it's almost like I grasp for that thing because I'm so afraid of this like growth edge process of change. But if I'm not trying to find the thing, then I can just do the work that feels good to do, change when I need to change, and then be really open about taking people along on the ride, kind of like we talked about before, sharing why I decided to do whatever it is that I'm going to do next, what the implementation of that decision looks like, what felt hard, what felt scary. Like We're all so curious about each other's process. And so, I don't know, I find that like the change itself can become part of the business that's interesting to people. Mm. Yeah, I like a couple of things that you said there as well around kind of longevity. And I think it's so easy to want the thing because that's a ticket to short term high growth because people can understand a thing and and it's quite easy for you to go, oh, here's my thing. Do you want to buy it? Yes or no, right? <laughs> and you can kind of easy to create your content around there. It's the easy thing to do short term. But when, as you said, you want something to sustain you for decades, a thing isn't going to do that necessarily. Unless, you know, you have other priorities in your life and you just like, oh, I can just do my one thing once a week and that's all I need. Great. But I think for people like you and I, it's not enough to sustain a ongoing for the rest of our lives kind of work. And yeah, that idea of apologizing is so interesting as well because it's like most people don't notice if you don't tell them Mm -hmm. yeah I mean we're paying way more attention to ourselves than anyone else is to us and even the people who are paying attention I just I don't think that anyone expects anybody else not to change or if they do honestly that's on them right like if you start following someone on Instagram because you really like that they post you know this specific category of thing and then they change and you're not interested anymore that's cool you can unfollow them and find someone else who is like posting there and yeah this this I this desire to have a thing like we're talking about for me I even try to relax around it it can be my thing for now like just adding the for now to it gives me a lot of permission and a lot of grace because I'm the type of creative who I think of myself as like a light switch person. Like I'm either completely into it or I'm not interested at all. Like I don't have a lot of middle ground and that's kind of like (laughs) how I am as a person. And so I've learned to lean into that. If I'm really into something, I'm happy to go all in on it, but I no longer expect that I'm going to feel that way forever. And that's totally fine. So let me run really hot with something. Let me learn as much as I can offer like the most valuable things that I can offer. And then at such time as the heat goes out of it, okay, cool. Can I trust that there will be heat in something else? And, you know, I've worked for myself in some capacity for over a decade. So at this point, I can trust that something else will feel exciting and that something else will work because I've continued, that's continued to be proven to me. And I think that some of this stuff is you trust it because it's your own lived experience. You know, eight years ago, if someone would have said to me like, oh, just don't worry, it's going to work out. Like that's no, like that that would not have worked. Right. Um, but I have seen over and over again that I can change and that it's not the end of the world. And, you know, it's and also I sort of ask myself, what's the alternative? If there's a part of my business that I'm not liking anymore and I make myself do it anyway, well, the work's not going to be very good. I'm going to be resentful about it. And people on the other side, like who are consuming the work, they can feel that. Like you can tell when someone's phoning it in. You can tell when they're not into it. You can tell when their work has gotten really formulaic. And maybe you don't identify it specifically in those terms, but there's reasons why we stop subscribing to something or stop buying from someone or stop following. It might be because our interests have changed, but it might be because their interests have changed and they haven't allowed themselves to pivot. And so that's also really important to me. Like I respect myself and my community enough not to 
do work that's, you know what I mean, that I resent doing. And I don't know. And all of this is, you know, there's layers of privilege in this as well of what kind of financial safety net do you have to be able to only do things that you want to do? Like, of course, there's elements in my business that I don't love, right? Like, that's just the nature of the beast. But I think that I have a lot more autonomy than sometimes I tell myself that I have with this type of stuff. I think what we're also sort of dancing around the edge of here is self-awareness and self-knowledge about drivers, motivation, what you need in a kind of day-to-day level in order to just actually enjoy what you're doing and how much for you that you feel like, I guess, how much you feel that the process of having a business has drawn that out and then the business has had to adapt to it or whether the that self-awareness kind of existed before and you've very intentionally built it in that way. I think both. I, again, I don't think it's an either or. I think, I mean, obviously, I know I said this at the top that my offerings in business is really around this idea of honest conversations, but a large piece of that is honest conversations with yourself. And that's something that I've always personally been really interested in. What is the process for self-reflection? What does it look like to trust yourself more, to become more fluent in the language of you? These are questions that I don't have answers to, but that I'm always thinking about and that a lot of my work has come out of that space and to sort of help other people ask those same questions. And so I think it's like a positive feedback loop, right? The more you get clear on what it is that you want, the more that the things kind of show that to you and they develop side by side, I think, or at least for me, that's been the case. Yeah. And I think that that was a big learning thing for me was like, why can't I just stick at stuff? What's wrong with me? But realizing actually that that's a value that I hold is that I need variety in order to like not go crazy doing the same thing all the time I need to have lots of different things going on and I need to be able to to change as you said and also not just work on one thing for maybe two weeks like that I cannot do and so rather than try and fight against that it's okay well how can I build my routine and my plan but also on a zoomed out level my whole business to incorporate that variety at its heart yeah I agree and I think part of it is is like you said knowing yourself and what works for you but then I also think at least for me part of it has been having hard conversations with myself right because the other thing I think that's here and what we're talking about is the question of how do you know when to change versus when to keep going and keep things the same and when to quit, right? And again, there's no magic formula for that. There's really just the accumulated wisdom of our lived experience. But there are some questions that I come back to again and again, and that sometimes feel quite challenging, right? So for me, and I mean, I guess if it's helpful, I can talk through some of those questions. One of them is, let's say I'm in a period of, should I change? Should I not change? Or I want to change, but I don't know if it's right. I'll ask myself, what's my main motivation for wanting to make a change right now? And I there's a, a Cheryl Strayed quote like from an essay of hers that I love where she says wanting to leave is enough. And I, I mean, I, I come back to that all the time. So like, let's just set that as a foundation. Like if you don't want to do something anymore, that like that's enough of a reason, right? You don't have to jump through all these hoops and do all the mental gymnastics to come up with reasons that other people understand. Like wanting to leave is enough, fine. Okay, so with that said, What's my main motivation for wanting to make a change? Because sometimes I just want to make a change because I'm afraid or because it feels too vulnerable or because I'm afraid of like a failure or afraid of success or I don't know. There's just like so much stuff in there that oftentimes when my knee jerk reaction is like, I should make a change. It's actually not that I need a change. It's that I need to stay and get support in continuing on. I feel like fear isn't a great reason for me to quit. I feel like imposter syndrome isn't a great reason for me to quit. In those instances, I would prefer to look for help and support. You know, maybe that's a business coach. Maybe that's, you know, whatever it is that people need in order to be supported in getting through that tough time instead of quitting. Because oftentimes I want to change as a reaction to some kind of discomfort, right? And that is sometimes really like I have to be very honest with myself and admit like, oh, I want to make a change because doing it this other way would feel less scary. So that's one. Another question that I really love is what would have to be true 
for staying to feel awesome or like keeping things the same and what would have to be true and is it even possible right so this this was actually the question that my former spouse and I kind of came to when we decided to get divorced you know was what would have to be true for you to feel awesome about staying married right and his answers to those questions and my answers to to that question were completely different and essentially would require the other person to change too much. And so we really sat with that. And that was super useful for us of what would have to be true. Like it just didn't work, right? And I'm oversimplifying it a lot, but, and so we got divorced. But sometimes that question, what would have to be true for you to feel awesome about staying last September, so September 2020, after a little bit of a sabbatical, I changed the funding model of my podcast, still using Patreon, but I switched to a sliding scale funding model. And during my time off over the summer, I really wasn't sure if I was going to keep doing the podcast. And there were a bunch of different reasons for that. But that question, what would have to be true for, you know, for me to feel awesome about continuing to do the podcast, it was, oh, I need to change the way I'm doing my business in this, this, and this way. Okay. Am I willing to do that? And making the changes cleared up, you know, any icky feelings that I was having. And now I feel awesome about doing it again. So I find that that can be a really clarifying question for me to get honest about like what actually would have to be true and are those things even possible? What I really like about these questions is they're very objective and they're not hand-wringing. And I think it's very easy to get to that point. And especially when you're self-employed in the way that we are, where yourself and your business are very close together, it can, and when you feel uncomfortable or you feel uncertain, it's very easy to make those that self-questioning personal and make it about what do you I need what is my impact what is my purpose and like to get really deep into it whereas actually to say it can be quite an objective process of you know what just what needs to be true for this to be better and it doesn't need to get to quite the emotional rancor that it can Mm -hmm. I mean I think that goes back to what we were talking about earlier of creating some distance between the self and the business and so it's sort of these emotionally neutral but really um, generative questions that I find can be helpful for me with this type of stuff, for sure. The one other question that I like to think about is if you knew for certain that continuing on with what you're doing would eventually work, you know, whatever success means to you, then would you stay, right? So like going back to what we were talking about, about that running program that I used to run, uh, <laughs> running program that I used to host, right? <laughs> that it was profitable. It was doing well. People really loved it. I, you know, I liked the person that I was working with, right? Like I wasn't miserable by any means. And so that question of like, if I knew for certain that continuing to to do that program, to offer that program, that it would eventually work. And I don't know what work means, eventually make more money, eventually be bigger. Would I stay? The answer was still no, because I didn't want to do it anymore. Right. But there have been other times where, you know, me wanting to make the change is just because I'm frustrated that it's taking too long or something like that. And if the truer answer is that if I knew that it was going to work out, that I would stay, then likely it's that I just need more time and an adjusted approach. And so like those sort of three questions together that we just went through have been for me very, very helpful in deciding like when to change and when not to sort of coupled with, I guess, some mindset stuff, reminding myself that like very few changes are irreversible, right? Like having a baby, getting a tattoo on your face, right? There's like a couple of things, right? <laughs> that like aren't super easy take backs, but like most other things, you can just make a different choice. Like you can just try again and really trying to keep that in mind and like adopt a more playful and experimental attitude about it all. Like it's just business. Like why am I taking it so seriously? You know, it's just, and, and just to have, I tend to be quite a serious person and I have to really remind myself to have a lighter touch. And the more that I come at everything with like, it's just a season of experimentation, the more easily I'm able to find solutions that don't feel like so hand wringing, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. I, that kind of answers what I was going to ask, but that it might not as well. That the idea of discomfort is something that I'm very interested in at the moment, both in terms of like where my life is with it being very up in the air in lots of different ways and how much I 
a reach to get out of discomfort as quickly as possible rather than kind of lying back into it and allowing the lessons to be learned and not just trying to fix it because it's more convenient and more comfortable to have a fix than not and so I guess I'm asking how long will you sit in a period of discomfort where you're thinking about change and and not reaching for an answer because you don't feel like the answers are within grasp yet Mm. it's a good question and certainly relatable right like there's a reason we don't like discomfort it doesn't feel good (laughs) right (laughs) I think you know, I could give you a bunch of examples where it was a really quick turnaround, and then I could give you a bunch of examples where it was a much longer turnaround. I think for me, it's less about a specific time than it is about that tipping point that, if you're honest with yourself, I think that you can feel it, where the fear or the the, the discomfort or the, like, the pain that I'm in starts to outweigh whatever my fears are of making the change. And even if it's only by like 2%, right? If, then if the pain outweighs the fear by like 2%, then I'm more willing to give the change a try. So I think that mm-hmm. is true and perhaps not as like useful, right? But it definitely is true. I have quite a low tolerance for my own bullshit, I'll call it where if I've had the same conversation with like six people again and again and again, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I need to do, like I'm, I'm sick of hearing myself talk about this thing, right? So in, in that regard, I think I probably don't wait as long as other people do to make a change. But part of that is because of what I said that I kind of treat it all as an experiment. And I think that there's a lot of value in hitting those growth edges and being uncomfortable, but not just for the sake of discomfort, right? It has to be like discomfort with a purpose. Like I'm not going to force myself to sit outside in a tank top when it's freezing just like to get tougher. I'm sure there's people out there that do that type of thing, but like why, right? Like what, what do I have to gain by that? Like just put on a sweater. But for certain things, like when we were talking before about fear, you know, if I'm really afraid of... I don't know, a certain type of failure, a certain type of success. Like there's just all these little things that can come up that the discomfort is something that if I were to work through it, I think that I will be better for having tried to work through it. I'm more likely to not necessarily like stay in the discomfort, but at least be willing to be in relationship with it. I don't want to just like stay stuck and uncomfortable, but that's when I'm more likely to talk to my business coach, talk to a therapist, talk to a trusted friend. Like, oh, this thing is coming up and I want to see through it, feel through it, learn through it and like work with it in some way. So I don't know. I wish I had like a prettier answer to that question. But for me, it's I usually can tell the point where I'm like, yeah, the discomfort is such that I'm ready to make a change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not something I think you can have a pretty answer to because it's something that we as human beings dance around and we don't want to spend too much time looking at because it's like not a nice thing and we want to be focusing on the things that feel more joyful or feel more productive or whatever else and so it's I don't think it's that discomfort and how we react to it is something that any of us really spend a lot of time on until we're in it and then we're like how how do I deal with this? You know, and I, I also think, and this goes back to what we were talking about before with the all or nothing mindset, that I can tend to, you know, let's say there's an aspect of my business that's not working or I'm feeling really uncomfortable and we're in this situation that we're talking about of like, do I change? Do I not change? Oh my God. Like, and I make it into such a big thing. Oh my God. Well, I'm either going to have to quit this thing entirely and do this and start over. And like I forward project and I catastrophize to the point where it's not even reality anymore as opposed to, okay. I'm feeling uncomfortable. Why? Is it because I don't like this work? Is it that I'm not working with the right fit people? Is it that I'm not enjoying my collaborators? Is it that my schedule is too busy? Like there can be so many different aspects of what leads us to enjoy or not enjoy what we're doing or for what we're doing to be or not be profitable. And taking that step back, being a little bit more objective, writing down everything I can think of, and then asking myself like, and I, I really, I like this idea of small changes. Like I'm no stranger to burn it down and start over. I think sometimes that is absolutely the right choice, but I think it's the right choice less often than my 
brain would like to invite me into believing. And so if I can say like, what's the thing that if I were to do it like five or 10% differently could potentially have a really big impact? And am I just willing to try? Because so often that like discomfort can be alleviated by making a small change. I really undervalue the impact of small changes, particularly a couple of small changes. Like they stack up together. And, you know, one of the things that I changed just this quarter, um, like back in January, was having a day of the week where I don't have any calls, meetings, live gatherings with my community. You know, there's nothing, there's no no time sensitive stuff because I've realized that I was really missing a day to make new things and be able to do deep work that I can't do when I only have like 45 minutes or an hour between calls. And so all it took was like the five to 10% change of just moving around the availability of my calendar. I'm still doing the same amount of things. They're just in a little bit of a tighter time frame on the other days of the week. And that change completely changed how I felt about the work that I was doing. And so I think sometimes the getting out of the discomfort is the reminder that, oh, what if I just change this like one unsexy thing and it fixes everything and I don't have to like burn it down and like go write novels in a cabin in Tuscany, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So something that you touched on and that I was really keen to talk to you about was the sliding scale payments that you've brought in as a very literal kind of application of your values to your business, I guess. And I know you it was something that you held as a sort of dream for a long time. So I'd just like to hear the kind of inspiration behind it and the practicalities of bringing it in and making it a reality. Yeah, totally. Um, I How about I just start talking about it and you can stop me and ask any other questions <laughs> okay. if there's yeah. anything you're curious about. Uh, I'm glad that you asked this. You know, like I said earlier, I love talking about money. So no surprise that this is something that I uh, enjoy discussing. So overall, in my business, I, well, I mean, as a person, but I really hold a strong value around financial accessibility. And that was something that I thought about from the very start of my, you know, self-employment journey. I've really been committed to asking myself, how can I make my work both financially sustainable for me, which obviously is important, while also making it financially accessible for others? And this was where I bumped a bunch against some of the more mainstream, I guess, like traditional business building advice, because a lot of it just didn't really feel like it was aligned with the financial accessibility that I believed in. And I think that all too often, we can think that that question, right? It's either financially sustainable for me, we think, or it's financially accessible for others. We set it, it's set up as an either or, which I mean, obviously capitalism teaches us that we should get the absolute most we can out of everything that we do and that charging less than we're worth, whatever that even means, that could be a whole other conversation, that like that's a failure, right? And I don't believe that. I've never believed that. And so it's really important to me to have my business be like my own little like microcosm of the kind of world that I want to live in, particularly when it comes, you know, to this financial accessibility and economic justice. To be like honest with you, I love the work that I do. I love the people that I work with. And on an almost equal footing, one of the main reasons that I want to be self-employed and self-employed in this way where like it is just me, like I am the decision maker, is because it allows me to be as, you know, radical as I want in a setting up like a business model and like advancing conversations like this that support my values. And I feel like having your own business is an awesome way to do that because you're the one making all the decisions. So I've had a culture of honesty and transparency around money for years, which I think definitely played a role into being able to switch my Patreon to a sliding scale and have it be successful. You know, if if someone's interested in potentially switching up their whole payment model and they've never really talked about money with their community before, they've never really talked about financial accessibility or any of these things, I think it's potentially going to be a heavier lift. I think some of that groundwork has to be laid first. But like I said, I've been doing these monthly business and money reports for years. I create a series of popular uh, quarterly reflection workbooks that have always been offered in a pay-what-you-want format with free copies given to anyone you know who needs it, no questions asked. For my higher-priced, like more um, energy-intensive offerings, like retreats, mastermind groups, that type of stuff, I've always offered like really long-term payment plans plans that are also fee-free payment plans. Something that never really like sat quite right with me was the payment plans 
cost more than an upfront payment. And I get why people do it. But my thought is like, why is it okay to charge someone more overall because they aren't wealthy enough to pay in full upfront? Like something about that felt a little icky to me personally. So like I don't do it. Having podcast conversations around money 2021 will be my third year of being able to like pay all the podcast guests, pay higher rates, right? Like to guests with historically marginalized identities, not having ads or sponsors, having a listener funded show, right? So all of this stuff has been happening for years. And I, I set all of that up as to say, like, it's not like I just woke up one day. It was like, I want to switch to a sliding scale payment model, like <laughs> yeah. ta-da, right? Um, so I think all of that context is important. And one of the things that I had been thinking about for a while was really taking the risk to go even deeper in this financial accessibility. My Patreon was previously set up the way I think most are, where there's different funding tiers and people get different content or different bonuses or access to different things depending upon how much they pay, with the idea being that people who pay more get more, right? Like that's basically how we're used to doing, right? Like that's capitalism, right? Like that's how we're used to doing everything. (laughs) That's the world, yeah. (laughs) And what if it's not? Like why, right? Like why? And so I started thinking about that and, you know, I'm absolutely indebted to all of the many people in different industries, right, that have been doing sliding scale payment models and all of this stuff for a very long time. So a lot of this was like research, reading, conversations with other people who had done similar things. So none of this was that I created out of my own brain, right? There's plenty of people that have come before in doing this. But I decided that I wanted to switch my Patreon so that every single person in the community had access to every single thing that I offer and they're essentially paying from within their means. And the real reason for that is because it's a clear way for me to acknowledge my belief that financial resources shouldn't be the only determining factor in whether or not someone can access services or products. And so when I sat down, you know, I took a two-month sabbatical last year in which I didn't earn money and, you know, lived off of my savings. And I said, okay, if I'm going to come back to doing the podcast and come back to doing this business, like we talked about before, what has to change? And this was one of the big ones for me was that I was willing to take the risk to do it. And I got to that change point, sort of when we were talking about when the pain outweighs the fear of if I don't make these changes, I I don't want to continue doing this business. And so at that point, it's not like you have nothing to lose, right? Because I didn't really have a backup plan, but I was more willing to take the risk to make the change because it felt like this is what had to be true in order for me to still feel excited about doing this work. So I gave it a shot. And so do you think had in previous years, had you got close to it, but the fear had outweighed the pain and this was just where the tip, the scales tipped in the other direction? I'd say I was actively thinking about it for about a year. So it wasn't necessarily that long, but yeah, definitely. And part of that was my own personal circumstances. Like I said, I got divorced in early 2019, so like two years ago. And that was a huge change in financial situation for me. My former spouse earns a lot more money than I do. And so a lot of how I had set up my business, I was able to really grow it slowly, grow it according to these values, because it didn't have to pay for my full-time life from day one, right? Like money always has to come from somewhere. It's either I would have been working another job at the same time or putting living expenses on a credit card or savings or a partner or family money, right? There's only like five or six places that money can come from. (laughs) And (laughs) so for me having, you know, getting divorced and having that huge change in financial situation, I was really afraid to make any changes in my business because I'm like, well, this is working just enough. I'm making just enough money. And I'm, you know, I live most of the year full time in my like tiny van. And so I'm like, okay, I'm covering my costs. Like I'm making just enough. I don't want to make a change that is maybe going to make people leave. Because anytime we make a switch in our business, it's not the right fit for some people and they leave. And then hopefully over time, the people for whom the new thing is the right fit will come in. That's the hope anyway. But I wasn't willing to risk it just because I didn't feel like my finances were stable enough. And you know, in that year period, things stabilized a bit and I had built up you know, an emergency fund and some savings cushions and that kind of stuff. So I was more willing to take the risk. That makes sense. And so since you have implemented it, how are you finding it? Like, how are you feeling about it? But also in a very practical level, what's the reaction been? Has it been better or has it been worse than you thought in terms of people leaving or people joining? 
Yeah, it's working really well. Patreon specifically, I'm making more money now than I was before the switch. So that feels great. And it was really scary to do. One of the things that helps me to make changes and pivots in my business is that I always talk about them with my community before I do them. Not in an asking permission way, because at the end of the day, they're my decisions, but I really do feel like we're in this together. And so, you know, in early September, I put up a post of, I'm, you know, kind of easing back in from my sabbatical. Hope y'all had an okay summer. Here are the couple of things that I'm proposing. Here's like my vision, essentially, for the next phase of the business. Like comments are open, feedback, input, questions. And a lot of what I ultimately decided to do, or at least some of the specific things, I would never have thought of. They were suggestions from the community. And so having that collaborative approach, I think, uh, not just for money changes, but with business pivots in general, People like to feel like they're a part of something. I like when people ask my input, right? And so I think that that's like a tool or a tactic that can be really helpful depending upon the nature of someone's business. But so I think that helped a lot is that people felt like their opinion was like being valued because it was. Like that wasn't just something that I did and then ignored all of their (laughs) questions and advice, right? Like I took that to heart. And then I tried to be very systematic about the way that I implemented the change. So some of the disadvantages or potential disadvantages of a sliding scale for like the creator, right? Like for me, the main disadvantage of a sliding scale is that people will take advantage of it, right? Which would lead to me not being paid fairly. That if everyone pays at the lower end of the scale, I'm not earning what I need to earn, right? And so I don't I don't think that that's intentional. Like I don't think that folks necessarily mean to take advantage, but since there's such a taboo around talking about money, that also means that many of us have never really unpacked or talked openly about our own class and class privilege, right? And I think that the disadvantage of a sliding scale for the person who's paying, right, for the client consumer community member kind of goes along with that, that a sliding scale can feel stressful because we hardly ever need to decide for ourselves how much to pay for something. It's not like you walk into the bakery and it's like, oh, how much do you want to pay for this muffin? You'd be like, what? Uh, uh, Like people (laughs) tell us what something costs and we pay it, right? And so having to evaluate our financial means and privileges and choose our own price can feel really daunting. And so something that I did in large part from suggestions from people in the community was to be very clear about, you know, the full price tier is you know, you have to choose what the full price is because a sliding scale only works if like this is the price. Anyone who's paying below that price is getting a discount. Anyone who's paying above that price is helping to pay it forward. And so I was really thoughtful about right? The full price tier is $15 a month, right? And then there's lower tiers if that $15 a month would be a sacrifice for you, but not necessarily a hardship. And then there's an even lower tier if, you know, that would be a hardship. And then there's a higher tier that's $25 a month that is essentially, like I said, pay it forward, that you are helping to supplement people at the lower end of the scale. And so I tried to be really careful in my communications around that. And I was overwhelmed by how well it worked. And particularly by how many people and were willing to pay more than something cost. And I know I actually feel like quite emotional when I start to think about this because outside of Patreon, I hosted my first big virtual retreat in December at like an end of year retreat at the end of last year. And I did a sliding scale as well where people had the opportunity, you know, to just use a discount code. You know, they don't have to prove anything, right? Like, I trust you. If you say you need the discount, you need the discount. And then they also had a chance to pay more. And so many people chose to pay, even if it was like $2 more, $5 more, right? And essentially what they were doing is they were looking at that like checkout payment screen and deciding I'm going to pay more than I have to so that a stranger that I don't know is able to pay less. Like something about that, like that is the world that I want to live in. And these two things, kind of the switch in Patreon and then host this workshop in December, like it like honestly made me cry multiple times being like, wow, this like this community is like stepping up in this way and we're creating something that I feel for me excites me about the work almost as much as the work itself. And so, yes, absolutely. People have left. People also have moved up and down the scales. There are people who, you know, their financial situation changes. They go from $15 a month to $5 a month. And I've gotten a bunch of messages from people that are like, thank you so much for having a shame free way for me to still be in the community and pay less. And then there's people who, oh, I got a raise and I decided to pay more. And so, yeah, I feel very touched and emotional that it's that it's working so that may be a little bit of like a gushy answer but um (laughs) no but I think it's so it's so beautiful that if you just give people a chance uh, the opportunity 
to demonstrate goodness, they'll take it. Yeah. And I think for me, like I said, I, you know, I laid out in sort of rapid fire all of the different ways that I've been talking about money, right? Like personally and in my business for years, that this, these last few months have felt like a culmination of many years of work. And that for me, I feel like really grateful. And I also feel really proud of the fact that I was willing to take the risk and have what felt like really like a vulnerable, hard conversations, both with myself and then like with the community at large. And obviously some of the fact that it worked is luck and situation. But I think a lot of it was having laid the groundwork to do this and having been able to learn and be mentored by people who have been implementing this type of stuff forever. I think it's I think it's great and I think as you say it's that's what's almost so lovely about it is that it is this culmination and kind of like I was saying earlier about the short-termist thinking is it's like okay well I want to do it now I want to make the change and we really have to make that shift from okay I need to do this next week to this is my long-term livelihood and you know sometimes things just feel better when you they are the culmination of years of work, then you just get to do it straight away. And you just have to trust that process and have the patience. Absolutely. I think a lot about a, a like sort of a goal or an operating principle of mine is to make my past self proud and my future self grateful. And I mean, that can be everything from like doing like unsexy life admin stuff that I really don't want to do, but like future me is going to be very glad, right? That it's not on her to-do <laughs> list, right? It can be that type of stuff. Or, you know, this these type of like deeper decisions in our businesses and to think what is the kind of world that we want to live in and we can't just like pull a lever and change the whole world. But I think that it's really easy to undervalue and underappreciate the the maybe small but still potent spheres of influence that we do have and to lean into, you know, what would me from like three years ago be so proud that I'm doing now? And what would me of like three months or three years from now be so grateful that I did the work for now? And that really is an objective but meaningful framework for me to evaluate decisions yeah I love that so I think well as you have already answered the question how do you grow a soul in your work and life and so what I thought I'd do is read you what you said last time which was in what January 2020 I think a whole other lifetime ago. a whole other <laughs> lifetime you are correct yeah <laughs> and yeah so I'm going to read it to you and then yeah get your kind of reaction to it and whether that still feels like it's true or that something has shifted since then yeah let's see what past me had to say yeah. I don't remember so I'm, yeah. I'm interested yes <laughs> okay so you said I'm willing to question everything there are very few things that we must unequivocally do and soul-centered growth challenges everything else. And I'm not afraid to do things my own way, even if it's different from what other people are doing. I feel like that was the two sentence like summary of this entire conversation, right? Like you don't even <laughs> need to publish this podcast like those. Yeah. So yes, I feel like that is so, so, so true. Particularly, thanks past me for this wisdom. Yeah being willing to question everything. Like there's just so much of, well, I have to work. These have to be my business hours. Oh, this has to be this. Like something that I changed last fall when I was changing my business. I host gatherings, workshops and stuff for a lot of folks in my community work more traditional hours. So if I don't work a weekend day, then a lot of them can't come to things that are live or they have to be quite late in the evening, which I'm not willing to do. I'm like non-functional past like a certain time. And so I used to work Monday through Friday and then I'd be like, well, I'll also do this thing on Sunday. And so I was never really taking breaks. And then I stepped back and had to, you know, question everything. Why? Who decided what a work week is? So now I work Sunday to Thursday. So I still get two days off a week and I have like a spacious Sunday in which to host live things. And that's like a tiny example. But I think this principle of like questioning everything, it can be really useful for me and probably for others as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's so easy to get into that. Well, this is the way things are done. I was like, well, why? <laughs> Yeah, I think I, I, maybe if I would add something to um, the answer that you read, it's like question everything 
And also when you have landed on what feels like the right fit or feel good or good enough answer for you for what the next steps are, commit long enough to see it through. And this maybe goes back to like the discomfort or, you know, we were talking about before kind of like flitting around from thing to thing. I try to remind myself of exactly what you said, that like the, the things don't happen overnight. And so if something feels like it's really the right fit and I've put it through all the criteria and then I've experimented with it and it does still feel like potentially it's the right fit, I have to give it time to grow. And so I think I would add that to it too. Like I'm I'm totally fine to do things my own way and like, you know, march to the beat of my own drummer, as they say, which I obviously do and we've talked about. And sometimes doing things in a non-traditional way, you actually have to be more committed because it's not just the work. It's like you have to sort of convince people that this other way is also a thing. That's, I mean, that's part of how it was having a listener-funded podcast. Like people aren't used to paying for that. They're used to listening to ads or having a podcast be like a marketing arm of an existing business. And so there was a little bit of an uphill battle of like, hey, this is creative work that you like. Come pay for it, right? And so being willing to commit long enough, like if I would have only done that for two months, I would have given up. I would have said, okay, this is a failure because it didn't take two months. I've been doing this podcast for five and a half years, you know? So things do take time. I would add to that. Yeah, agreed. (laughs) So Nicole, where can people come and connect with you and find you and find out about all all the things we've talked about? the things um nicoleantoinette.com is probably the easiest place uh because that has links out to all the other things podcast weekly personal essays instagram etc so that is probably a good place to go and also i say this very sincerely to anyone listening like if something in this resonated with you like send me a message i do all of this because i like talking to people about things that you know ideas and things we might have in common and those like me too moments so yeah please reach out and say hi Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Any links that we mentioned will be in the show notes at simpleandseason.com forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Instagram at simpleandseason and you can find Nicole at nick, N-I-C, dot Antoinette. If you have a friend who you think would really enjoy this episode, please do send them the link and share where you're listening online too and until next time I hope you grow a soul